we're back. Welcome to season six of the Iron Woman podcast. I'm Rosalie, and I want to tell you, I love to bike ride. It's my favorite daytime activity. And my nighttime favorite activity is playing piano. And I'm in the middle of all of that. I like to watch TV and play video games and stuff. Support us by supporting our sponsors when you order from them online. After C Nutrition, Coffee Method, Rudy Project, and Smash Fest Queen. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Hi, Haley. How are you this week? Alyssa, I'm doing pretty good. And I think you are just home from camp. Is that right? Yes. So Hillary and I do our women's camp out in Tucson. We had it this past week and I just traveled back today. So listeners, you'll have to excuse me if I've, I've seemed a little bit more tired than usual here on the microphone, but it's just, it's always so much fun. I come home super tired from camp, but I also come back super inspired and super energized. Uh, Women's Camp especially is a really fun group because we take women of all ability levels. So we had a couple Kona qualifiers there training this year. And then we have kind of people who had never ridden all the way up Mount Lemmon and weren't entirely sure that they could ride up Mount Lemmon, right? So that was, that's always just such a special thing to see everyone push their limits and push outside their comfort zone and we really just ask that everyone does all the workouts, gives 100%. They have to like trust me and Hillary that we're not setting them up for failure, right? And so there's definitely some really hard moments as they're wondering if they're going to make it through or they're just, you know, everyone's super tired by the end of four or five days of it. But then inevitably, Haley, guess what? They do make it through and it's just so much fun to watch and everyone always rallies against, you know, for each other and help support each other. And I think... It's fun for the people who, you know, are a little bit slower to see the people who are maybe more elite in their eyes struggle a bit, right? And then I think a lot of maybe the elite people draw a lot of inspiration from watching all the perseverance from the other ladies at camp. So it's a really full circle, fun weekend of a lot of laughing as well, so... Is, is the dynamic different at a women's only camp versus a co-ed camp? And are there, are these campers who wouldn't necessarily go to camp if it was, if there were men there? Yes. So this camp actually came about several years ago from requests that Hillary was getting from women. Cause I think there were definitely some women who were intimidated to go to a camp with men there. And those camps, Not always, but they often can be, at least in my experience, a little bit more competitive um, and a little bit less of, you know, everyone pulling everyone through it all together. And so in the women's camp, we also create a different vibe kind of on purpose. So we have some like female focused activities, like the first night we brought in uh, Dr. Kiki Silver on Skype and she gave a talk about females and athletes and how your hormones come into play and all sorts of things we can look into kind of just in that whole realm. So that's always, you know, 
the quote girl talk we definitely bring into it because I think there are a lot of questions that people have. And so we try to make that a little bit more accessible for them. Did you require everyone to listen to your most recent episode of the Iron Women podcast and hear all about your adventures on the, the long trail? It actually was really fun because camp started on Thursday afternoon. And so the podcast came out before they all, and a lot of them were driving to camp and they had, you know, car rides to be listening to the podcast. So a lot of them did show up super excited for me, which was really fun. And it was really cool because then they had a lot more background and we could discuss things more in detail, but I was really happy. So thanks guys for listening. I'm, I definitely appreciated it. <laughs> cool. Well, how was the weather there? Is it hot in Tucson? I mean, I, I'm picturing Tucson in August and I picture sweltering fire. <laughs> you know, it is, it is hot. I mean, I'm not going to say it's not hot, but we do several of the activities, like anything in the middle of the day is basically a swim, right? Everything else we do early, or we take a trip out to a lake that's in southern, it's like southeast, I guess, of Tucson. And that's at elevation. So we spend one whole day doing a long run and an open water swim at over 5,000 feet. And it was like 75 there. And then Another day we're riding up Mount Lemon. So we start early enough that it's a little warm, but it's not, you know, unfathomably hot. And then you're just riding up to 8,000 feet where, again, it, it was probably 75 degrees up top where we do a little jog off the bike up top. So, you know, Hillary and I, contrary to what people like to believe, I think people like to think that we always make it as hard as it possibly can be and all sorts of things when we, um, when Hillary and I are in charge. But we are realistic and we want everyone to be enjoying themselves. So we accommodate that for people for sure. Cool. Well, is definitely not sweltering fire here in Montana. We've actually had some really cooler days and I did an open water swim last week with um, one of my athletes who's, he's a very, very strong swimmer. And most of the time in the pool, he can kick my butt, which I don't like to admit, but he can, but, um, it was so cold. The first, like we were swimming, we are doing an out and back about 24 minutes out. And I was looking down at my watch. Like I was like, we must be time to turn around. And I looked down and it only been six minutes. And I was like, oh man. And I don't get cold that easy, but I think the temps that morning at where this lake is, cause it's at elevation. I think they were in the thirties in the morning. And by the time we got up there, I think it had warmed up to about probably close to 50 degrees. So it wasn't as bad, but yeah, it's been a little chilly here, but today was beautiful. I ran outside. I'm, I'm enjoying, you know, some outdoor, some bike and run just uh, because I know winter is coming. <laughs> and are you just kind of getting back in the routine and getting back into, you know, everything to kind of see what's next? And then you're just letting yourself train for a bit here? Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting some good training in. I have some race ideas. I've signed up for a couple of races. I'm not exactly sure which ones I will do. This is the pros and cons of racing as a professional, right? We can sign up for things, you know, plenty of races and you can get into races fairly, you know, quick before the race, but then it's, you know, which races make the most sense. How is my body coming out of the Ironman? You know, am I healthy? checking all those boxes and just making sure that when I do get on a start line, I'm ready to go and ready to race. And, um, because I do feel like I have some unfinished business with this season. So there's still going to be some racing left for me for sure. Yay. Well, that's exciting. I noticed too, for people who don't know how it works that I went to look at 2019 races and I think they only had actually one race for us already posted. So as a professional racing on the Ironman circuit, you have a Ironman license and you can race the races for from WTC that have 
pro fields in them and they just list them on a section of the website, but they don't really tell us like when they are putting the race list out and it can change from year to year. And so, you know, I think it's interesting because as a amateur, you're used to really having to plan a year out. Right. And then now you don't necessarily have to, but it's always good to have a longer term plan in mind as you're planning things, maybe short term, just to kind of you know, see what the the longer scope of things could be. But so I'm eager to see what, what 2019 will, will bring us. Yes. And if anyone wants to find that list, I know you can Google Ironman pro membership and that's, then you can find the event list on there to figure out which races have pro fields, but it's a little bit hard to find. It's definitely, definitely hidden in there. Well, Haley, I did some running too at camp. I guess that was, that's kind of my big thing. So I have been doing walk run to come back from the FKT run and I just hadn't felt too much like running. My body was telling me it wasn't excited to. So we were doing 20 minute walk runs. I did a 40 minute walk run and then I did jump into a long run on the dirt road with the campers and I could tell my body wasn't quite ready yet to be going that long. I was really happy to have all the ladies around to help me get through that because I think if they weren't, I would have been a little feeling very sad for myself on the dirt road, but you know, I don't have, I didn't buy an Ironman license this year. So a lot of people have been asking if I'm going to race and what I'm going to race next. And I don't know, Haley, I think there's, there is a challenge 70.3 in December challenge Daytona that, you know, I'm eyeing, um, just maybe because I think I have definitely lost some speed in my legs. That's like a no brainer. And I do want to spend a little bit of time here getting that back and just making sure I don't lose it forever. So I'm definitely taking my time doing it, but I like to have something kind of in the back of my mind and I'd rather not purchase, you know, have to, especially for like a 70.3 with Ironman. I for, I'm not sure how much I would have to pay to even enter and then go, but I really don't think business wise, I'd probably end up making money in a late season 70.3 at Ironman. So challenge will be it's east coast it's a little easier to get to than some of the other options and so that's what i don't know we'll see though plenty of time to decide i guess yeah i think it'd be cool to see you on a 70.3 start line and if anyone did not listen to last week's episode we talked all about why Alyssa is so tired and that is because she ran 273 miles on the vermont long trail in five days and two hours setting a new women's supported record so if you haven't listened to that definitely go back and then you will understand why she now is tired running 12 miles. Although it has to have felt a lot nicer. There were no ferns. You had to go sit and um, take a nap in. Yeah. So. <laughs> and it sounds like your blisters must have healed. Yeah. My my feet are still shedding pretty a lot, actually. And I did lose another toenail. But overall, you know, I'm still in one piece and things are staying put together. So that's good. I'm just still trying to bank some sleep, I think. Cool. Well, Alyssa, do we have any mailbag questions this week? You know, we do have some that we've been saving, Haley, and so we'll just jump right into them. And again, if anyone has mailbag questions for us, you can write to us at any time, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And Rebecca wrote in, and she was asking if all the Ironman events will soon include a rolling start. She likes the wave start. She is a competitive age grouper, and she's a little sad to see that fade out. So Becca... We actually don't know for sure. <laughs> so no one, Iron Man, unfortunately, has not given us the memo of exactly what their plans are. But Haley, do you remember what year they started the swim start initiative? I don't. I it believe was it was when I was, when we were pros. So yeah. it has to have been after 2013. Yeah. But 
We did, um, Alyssa, you and I, as age groupers, we did Ironman Louisville, which was kind of a rolling start, even in the early days. And then obviously I did many wave starts as an age grouper. And we also did Kona when it was a mass start, men and women, terrifying. I thought I was going to drown every time I did it, um, at least for the first five minutes. But um, so my thoughts on this, I'm a fan of, I believe I'm a fan of the rolling start out of those three types. I'm a big fan of safety. If that hasn't come across already on this podcast. And I think that is the safest option. I think that especially if it's self-seeded, I encourage most of my stronger athletes to seed themselves in the front and race from the front. And that probably is more closely, you know, resembles a pro race. And I think if you're an elite amateur, you know who you're racing and you're going to see people out on the course and you kind of know when you started and when they might've started. And you probably can tell that's, that's kind of my thoughts. I think wave starts too often. The women are just stuck in the back and that was one of the catalysts that made me decide to go pro was racing the 70.3 world championships in Las Vegas, where we started in the second to last wave. It was like a hundred degrees and I came off the bike and Leanda cave was already giving her winter speech and I had to run a half marathon and they were running out of water and it was miserable. And I swore after that, I would never start in the back again. <laughs> Well, that'll teach you a lesson, I guess, right? <laughs> Go pro, take your pro card. Then you always start in the front and everyone starts at the same time. There you go, Rebecca, my actual advice. No, I like, um, you know, I, I really did. I liked the wave start. I just, I'm a fan of that, that, uh, just the feeling you get like that, the old school Ironman feeling, I guess, you know, of like that's the kind of movies I always watch of Iron Man, like the coverage movies or what are they called? I don't know, DVDs of the Iron Man or something that I would watch. Um, you know, they always just showed that moment of the start. And so it was kind of, it was cool to be a part of that in a sense, but I totally agree with Haley. It's much safer, I think, for a lot of reasons to do the rolling start. And honestly, I've done several rolling starts and I'm not even sure they're any less rough or anything than, you know, the, it's it's definitely separates people out. But if you're starting kind of with the competitive people and maybe that like sub hour to hour 10 group, you know, it's going to be all the same people. You'd probably be around pretty quickly within the mass start anyway. So as a competitive age grouper, like if you're in that time frame, then your race shouldn't change too much. I don't think so. Hopefully the rolling starts are giving people who maybe have a little more anxiety for the swim and just need a little bit more of the time and room to ease into it, that ability to do so because swim definitely keeps a lot of people out of the sport. So I think anything we can do to help ease that a little bit for them um, is a good thing. And Haley, we have another question that came in. And this one is from Katie. And so she is looking for tips on how to manage long flights and time changes before the race. Uh, She's looking at a 13 plus hour flight and a 12 hour time difference for her race. And so she's wondering what she can do on the plane to be better prepared. And if there's a good way to adjust to the time difference and then also for food before these races. So new country, maybe a small city. Do we like, have you ever packed your own food to be eating before the race so that you can count on that? Are there certain foods that pack well that you can cook in the hotel rooms? First, I guess we'll tackle the plane questions and the travel with the time changes. And I think my biggest tip is always hydration with electrolytes. You know, I, stay super, super hydrated through those long flights. And I really think that that along with maybe some planning in the the time of when you book your flights helps 
make that adjustment really well. And I know that if you go back and looked at one of our earlier podcasts with Stacey Sims, she gave some great information too on that you can use for how to tackle that time change and, and things like that. Yes. Yeah, Stacey Sims gave some good tips on jet lag. And then I believe Jeannie Seymour also had some tips on travel. I know when I just recently went to the Netherlands, I was a little bit nervous because it's an eight hour time difference, which I find eight hours flying East, um, actually more difficult than, you know, a 12, 13 hour difference going West to China, or Australia. So I, I did pay attention to when I booked my flights. I went a day earlier than I normally would have just to give myself another day to, you know, kind of adjust. I, I wore an eye mask and headphones on the plane and I did get myself to sleep. And so that when I arrived at 9am the next day, I did not let myself take a nap. And we've talked about the nap. You don't (laughs) nap, you keep yourself awake and exercise helps. So I think I did do like an easy run. Um, once I got to Maastricht and just kind of got outside, saw the sun and it helped me a lot, get onto that, you know, that time to change and then get myself to bed and I think the first day I let myself sleep a little bit longer. Um, but then every day I kind of tried to bring that, that wake up time, you know, a little bit back just so that on race morning, it wasn't a huge shock. And then in terms of food, I know for me, I've never, I bring kind of some very basic things. Like I always bring some snacks that I can have for, you know, those times, right. When you wake up, you want to take a nap, but you're like, no, I have to go ride or run or something like that. But then you're like, I'm really, I'm starving, but I haven't gotten settled enough yet. So I always bring some kind of like bars or just like a jar of peanut butter, even I packed or something like that. So that I always have kind of some sort of sustenance I can rely on. I know the Crave Jerky works really well. Like Haley and I have both taken that. You can take that as a plain snack, which is great. Just be careful, maybe traveling into some countries. I don't, I don't know if you always want to take meat into the countries, but it's a great plain snack. And then I think, you know, I've never, exclusively brought everything I would eat before a race or anything, but I do so much research on where I'm staying. I look up the groceries ahead of time. If I like can even get a feel for what's in the groceries, I will. Um, and then I definitely have by now it's just kind of a plan in my head of what I've done in the past, but you know, I'm like, okay, I know I can go into a grocery and find some pasta and maybe a vegetable and a protein. And that's just going to be my meal for the next you know, hopefully whatever I pick that first day works out. And then I'll usually go back to that same grocery and get those same things, hopefully for the second and third nights or something like that. So that I just have that routine going into the race the next few days. But I do think there are people like Haley, are you someone who brings your own food and is like cooking in the microwaves and stuff? Not usually I will go out just because Again, I'll, I'll do what you do, like what you said, or look at grocery stores, look at what restaurants are in the area. And most, at least most triathlons I've found that I've traveled to are in fairly touristy areas um, where there are quite a few restaurant options or room service. Like I've definitely done room service, especially if you're jet lagged. Um, if you are in a bigger hotel, like that can be really nice. I, in When I've traveled to China, that's basically what I did, got spaghetti every single meal. And I think everyone in the hotel was judging by how much they laughed at me when I called down and asked for it. But that can be kind of convenient, especially, and also if you're in a culture that doesn't eat dinner early. And then like, um, like Alyssa said, though, I have heard of people packing rice cookers, packing like port, like a electric kettle. So you can make oatmeal in the morning, because even if you are in a big hotel, sometimes if you are getting up at, you know, 
3 or a.m., they aren't going to have breakfast ready for you. So it's nice to be able to be somewhat sufficient, self-sufficient in especially your race morning breakfast. So I, I usually do try to be have that on hand. Just so race morning, there are no questions. I know what I'm going to eat. And I am fairly careful about what I eat. Um, again, eating mostly cooked foods, very few raw foods, even fruits and vegetables in the days before, just because I have gotten sick before. And so it's just, you know, it's mostly about doing things that you know are going to sit well in your stomach and just minimizing that risk of, of eating something bad. And speaking of long flights and stuff, Haley, I think a lot of people out there are probably traveling quite a ways in this week because we have the Ironman 70.3 World Championships coming up this weekend in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Yes. And to kick off our world championship coverage, we have 2016 Ironman 70.3 world champion, Holly Lawrence on the podcast today. Holly won her world championship title in just her second year on the 70.3 circuit. She won that race in Maluluba, Australia. And, um, she followed that up in 2017 with a incredible winning streak. She won six 70.3s, the, including the Ironman North American championship in St. George. Uh, to start off 2018, she finished third at Ironman 70.3 Dubai and second at Ironman 70.3 Oceanside. And unfortunately in the latter race, she actually broke her foot on the bike. So she will not be racing in Port Elizabeth this weekend, but she gave us an update on how she's doing and even offered some insight on what it's like to uh, kind of focus on a world championship race and gave us her picks for this weekend. So we'll have that interview after a few words from our sponsors. Support us by supporting our sponsors when you order from them online. After Sea Nutrition, Coffee Method, Rudy Project, and Smash Fest Queen. Hi, Holly. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So Holly, earlier this year at Oceanside 70.3 in April, you broke your foot. In the race, you still managed to finish second with a 122 half marathon. But since then, you've been dealing with a lot of issues. So can you tell us a little bit about what life's been like and how you're doing right now? Yeah, so um, yeah, that was like four months ago, pretty much. Um, I think next week it'll be four months. Obviously broke it during, it was actually on the bike that I felt and heard it crack um, and knew something was wrong when I was running into transition and kind of contemplated pulling out then. Um, But part of me was like, oh, people wouldn't believe me that I actually, that something happened. So I just kind of went, you know, just went through it until I kind of got over it. Um, But yeah, so then afterwards, confirmed pretty quickly that it was broken and it's just not a good bone to break, break. it's the navicular um, which typically has a bad blood supply so we tried to let it heal for like six weeks and um, it just wasn't healing at the rate that we'd want it to so it was after six weeks when I had surgery um, so then there was another three weeks in a cast three weeks in not non-weight bearing boot and three weeks in a weight bearing boot so I kind of added a bit of extra time by trying to let it heal first, but surgery is something you kind of can't take back. So that was something I really wanted to try and let it heal on its own first. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's probably the hardest thing I've been through. Pretty dark times, but yeah, thankful to be out the other end now. And um, I had a scan, I think four weeks ago, um, which confirmed that it was healed. Um, 
after the surgery and everything and so now it's just a process of getting back but obviously it's just so long off of my foot completely that just really cautious not to damage anything else on coming back so I've just been running on an Alter G and we'll start running outside I think like next week so and with the Alter G I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners sometimes have had to come back from injuries themselves or stress fractures and things like that or maybe a break similar to yours have you did you you, so you've only been doing the G. Did you consider like a walk run? And how did you make that decision of kind of how to approach running again? Um, you know, I think a lot of people would struggle to be told four weeks ago that the bones healed, you know, in theory mm. you can run. So yeah. how did you, kind? you know, that's super patient to stay on the G for four weeks. So what was that yeah. decision like? Well, after how many months, I think you learn a little, little lesson in patience. And that's something that I've really lacked kind of previously. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's not been my decision at all. It's been my surgeon that's directed it. He's kind of the best, one of the best in the businesses. He's, you know, operated on all the long distance runners. So I trust him and I'm not going to F it up. So <laughs> yeah, doing, sticking by the book. Holly, your rise to the top of the non-drafting world was a bit meteoric as you turned some major heads when you first blew everyone away on the bike at Oceanside in 2015, a race that you ultimately finished third. And later that year, you went on to finish 11th at your first 70.3 World Championships in Austria. And then the next year, you win your first 70.3 in Montremblant, Canada, and then the 70.3 World Championships in Australia in 2016. So what, like, what made you switch from ITU to draft legal racing and, or to non-drafting racing and the 70.3 racing and how did you expect to do so well so soon? Um, no, I suppose I have a, it's hard when everyone's like, oh, you have some success and I'm kind of like, well, I've been grinding for so many years and, you know, nothing's been sudden, nothing's been quick, um. But I suppose, you know, and I, I did dabble in 70.3 and like the 51.15 on drafting series while I was still doing ITU. So it wasn't like I, you know, came at it from absolutely nothing. But the reason why I pretty much switched from ITU was in the end that just the way that the race played out just didn't didn't kind of favor me that like I, I would generally get out like mid pack or front pack. Um, but it would just collect together in the bike that I, I just knew coming off the bike that I'd be outrun by how many of the girls that I was with. And, and in the end, in some of the races that I was kind of more wanted to be, you know, British triathlon wanted me to be kind of more of a domestique in kind of that role. So, um, just the politics and everything of it just really turned me off, um, from it. And when I just tried a 70.3, I just... I just loved it. It was so much more, more enjoyable. And I I was just, I really hated, um, I just found it really stressful, that ITU kind of style of racing, and it just didn't suit me. And I just found it very frustrating and just kind of fighting over just trying to um, please a federation that just seemed impossible and then just could go on your own with doing the long distance stuff. So that's actually really interesting. I've always kind of wondered about ITU racing as I never did it myself. And I think our listeners don't know probably too much about ITU as well. And so you're racing under the Federation for your country. And so when they approach you to be a member of the squad or, or something like that, do they, how does that conversation kind of evolve 
when they kind of tell you your role? And then is it, do you have any say whatsoever? Yeah, so, I mean, it's all about hitting criteria with them. And I was always kind of kept on the outside because I turned into triathlon kind of after swimming. And so I found it kind of quite late. And I remember at 16, I think I was, or maybe 17, my mum had phoned up the British triathlon to kind of talk to them and see what I needed to do. And I remember them telling her at the time that, you know, I was too old and I wouldn't be fast enough and my run wasn't fast enough. And and I had really little to no guidance at that point. Um, and I, I still went to university, chose it as it was a satellite center for British triathlon at the time and kind of trained with them, but not with them as such. And then just, you just kind of turn up to races to try and meet criteria. And um, I was selected for European championships um, because of my results. And, and like, I was there to race for myself, but mid-race I was being told to stop by um, all the British triathlon uh, management who at the time I was trying to, like, you know, trying to get, you know, a result or whatever so I would finally get on funding or, you know, be under their kind of wing. And um, so it was things like that that I just found really hard to deal with. And, and I was just really naive and... I really didn't know what to do at the time. So, and I so they were telling you to definitely. stop so that the yeah, because you were basically beating women or something that you they didn't want you ahead of at that point. Or yeah, so um, how the race played out, it was like I was in a bike pack with like Nicholas Spirig. We were breaking away from a group, and like a best kind of best case scenario, it's like re- really raining, like bad like cobbles it's like great so like really just put distance really quickly because I was just kind of driving um the bike pack and there were a few British girls behind and there were like three three British um people on the course just telling me to stop and at first I really didn't understand and then it was getting more kind of aggressive every time I passed somebody and even rode past them and I was like really you want me to stop because we hadn't obviously discussed this beforehand I was just racing for myself and and then instead I just kind of didn't didn't do what I would usually do and kind of messed up with the group to try and slow them down instead of push push on and then just didn't really have a good race and I think I was trying to get like top 10 to get on funding and I came like 11th or something because kind of sabotaged my own race so did you get in trouble Like, did someone get mad at you afterwards? I'm just... No, no. I mean, because I wasn't, like, I wasn't told. I wasn't there to be a domestic. But, yeah, I mean, they just had, you know, power. And, and I and other girls I later, because I was really frustrated about it, and other girls afterwards sort of said, oh, I wouldn't have done that. But I really didn't know any... I didn't know what to do. I, these were the people I was trying to impress at the time. And, um, yeah, so... So, yeah, after, after that year, I was like... <laughs> like on the non-drafting it. world <laughs> yeah yes. well we're glad we're glad you made the the switch um I do want to ask um a few months prior to your injury when you were still running you made a public post on Instagram inviting women from the Santa Monica area where you live to meet up for your Sunday long run so yeah. I'm curious did that post work did these women show up and why did you want to start this kind of informal women's group run yeah, um, yeah, that was really random actually. There was um, because uh, my boyfriend Sean, he was injured uh, for a while, so I was ended up doing a lot of the running on my own. And a Sunday long run is something I just love to chat and just kind of pass the time by chatting. And 
I'd be running up and down San Vicente um, in LA uh, and see so many women runners out, but all on their own, all listening to earphones or whatever. And, um, and like some people I would like maybe like chase to try and catch up with them. And then suddenly they'd turn off. I'm like, damn it, we could have all run together. Um, so I, yeah, I randomly made a post and, um, and it was really surprising actually the first week I honestly thought I'd like I'll casually run past and if no one goes I'll just, you know I'll just like carry on and just you know not not make a scene out of it but there were like 25 people they were all like really chuffed to have people to run with like no one ran on their own everyone had someone to run with and um yeah it was really fun but obviously it couldn't couldn't keep it going for too many weeks because I broke my foot uh not too too long after that well, it sounds like it might not be too long before you can pick that back up. So hopefully those ladies are still out there yeah, training definitely. for you. Yeah, yeah. I have had a few messages since saying, when are you going to bring them back? So yeah, I will. And speaking of Santa Monica in LA, what is the training like there for you? And all the things that, you know, as an East Coaster, I've ridden out there a few times and I've noticed the traffic and that is definitely something you hear about out there. Do you avoid that and ride elsewhere or is it not as bad as everyone says? I mean, generally when people say about the traffic in L.A., they're talking about going to different parts of L.A., like on the 405, where it's just kind of wall-to-wall traffic, um, like in the evenings or in, you know, rush hour times. So generally, like if you live somewhere that you don't sit in traffic, like I'm never sat in traffic in my car. Um, the the only thing is the PCH, which is the Pacific Coast Highway, uh, which is kind of like the gateway to the mountains. There, it is pretty, it is there is a lot of traffic on there, but um, it's maybe like 20, 20 30 minutes. Um, so it's, it's not too bad. And the generally, I mean, that is, that is probably the worst thing about the training here. But the mountains are so amazing that, and there's so many, so many like mountain roads that you can go up and so many different climbs that the climbing is amazing here and everything else. Is, so that's kind of the only downside. But if you can get over that, then it's fine. <laughs> And Holly, do you train with people? I mean, I believe you have three different coaches for each discipline. Is that still correct? Um, that's just changed. Yeah. So I did I did have that all of last year and all of the year before. And that's something that's changing going forward. And because I've always, like the bike coaching has always been super scientific, um, like just numbers based. Um, so there's kind of no interpretation or anything else that um it's just very clear and simple um so then all of my trainees kind of go gonna go through that now oh so you'll have one coach for yeah, all three disciplines yeah, yeah. and but I have using a more I data who it is yet so <laughs> you're not gonna that. break that this year on iron I was gonna post it so I, I did say a couple of months ago I'm having a life change and everyone said I was pregnant. And I was like, no, um, just changing coach. And then I was going to say who the coach was. And, and then the coach was like, maybe don't announce it just yet. I was like, oh, okay. Jump the gun a bit. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, we will well, eagerly await that news. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Holly, you've actually posted on your social media quite a bit about body image. And specifically since your race at the 70.3 World Championships last year in Chattanooga, when you said that attempting to lose some weight and get pretty lean to race uh, in the months leading up to that 
contributed to your inability to finish. And this is actually a conversation I think that's kind of resurfaced recently because Lionel Sanders kind of said a similar thing with his race recently. Right. So how has your view on body image changed in the past 12 months? I'm sure even now with the injury coming to light, you know, so many things happen to your body during that time. What have you learned in this time? Yeah. I mean, yeah, pretty much everything I said, um, publicly then is, is kind of what I still believe in. That's just something that I kind of got caught up in. I'd already had an injury. So that's how it started. I had, I had, I like tore my plantar plate in my foot and that was just from racing too much. And when I did have a rest period planned, I just didn't, I didn't take it. I just kind of got caught up in it and panicked. Um, about just taking the time to really recover and yeah, no surprise, then you get injured. Um, and then obviously that was, that was like six weeks before world champ. So it was over a really short period of time that then I, cause then I was running on the alter G, which is the anti-gravity treadmill and running at like 95% didn't bother my foot. So I was like, simple, <laughs> I'll lose 90, I'll lose 5% of my body weight. And I did, but I was failing bike workouts. I you know, just, I just wasn't fueling my sessions and, and I swam like absolute crap. And like in, in the race in 70.3 worlds, I came like, I had the worst swim of my life. And I just, yeah, I just got into some stupid trap that so many people seem to get into. And that's something that obviously I saw Lionel's post, uh, his video. And I could, I could actually, I remember seeing him and I thought, wow, he's getting really skinny. Like it was a very negative thing. Now I kind of, I just associate it with a negative thing if people are kind of, um, especially when, you know, he's, he's, when they're successful for being strong and then kind of ultimately changing that, what's made them, what's made them successful and what makes them stronger than other people. Okay, well, let's talk about this upcoming 70.3 World Championships that are happening this weekend in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Obviously, we're super sad you won't be there on the start line, but we're hoping that you can add some insight into how you think the race might play out. So the start list is certainly a world championship caliber list with, we have defending champion, Daniela reef, mm-hmm. um, runner up from last year, Emma Pallant and last year's fourth place finisher, Sarah true. And the list also includes some newer, exciting names, um, like Ann hog, Ellie Salthouse, Lucy Charles, and of course, a now healthy two-time champion, Melissa Hauschild. So how do you see the race unfolding? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, obviously, no Lauren Brandon um, racing. So Lucy, yeah, Lucy Charles will be out on her own in the swim. And I just imagine that uh, Daniela will run away with it and like uh, take the lead pretty early on in the bike. And I think that's pretty much the way it'll go for the women's race. That's my, you know, that's my pick. But it'll be interesting to see, uh, like, obviously, Annie Haug's had some hits and some misses so and it'll just be interesting because a lot of these girls haven't haven't been on the same race together so uh, to see where the, the groups form and um how that kind of plays out to give our listeners kind of a background approaching a championship race from a professional perspective you know the course in port elizabeth especially is definitely unique it's going to have a wavy windy swim it's going to have more wind on the bike with some punchy hills 
Um, the run can be super hot there. Um, I don't know for sure if it is this time of year, but I think it's um, cool. I think oh, it's is it? cool. Is it like it's like 60 degrees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I feel like the sun is still out and still feels very strong, at least from my experience there. But you know, when you're pre- preparing, when you would be preparing for a championship race, would you go train on the course? Like how do you prepare for the unique demands of that course, knowing it's such a big race, there's going to be such a stacked field, um, you know, competing with you. Yeah. So, um, like obviously I would probably drive most of the course if I couldn't ride most of the course, but I would ride definitely the key parts of the course. Um, like in Malula bar when we went out, um, I think I was there like 10 days before that would be ideal for world champs. Cause I'd always, usually for like a Saturday race, I'd get out there on like the Tuesday for a normal race. But for a world champs, I'd be out there like 10 days before. So I knew like every ounce of the course and just to really do the key parts, like the, any of the hills or anything that's kind of where things all kind of, you you just, you'll be a, a lot more efficient putting kind of the power in the right places. And and do you change anything like knowing, knowing who's going to be in the race? Like if you were in this race and you know, Lucy Charles is there, like, do you, does that change your tactics at all? Or do you just go out there and just race your own race? Yeah. I mean, obviously as it's non-drafting, you're kind of racing your own race anyway, but obviously when it comes to the swim, if there's people it makes sense to try and get onto or like in Malulabar, I came out on Lauren Banda's feet and yeah, I mean that pretty much set up my day. So things like that is pretty key. Um, and obviously just planning for every eventuality, like in Malulabar, it was like, okay, so if Daniela passes me, this is how I'm going to deal with it. If we're in a group, this is how I'm going to deal with it. Like I didn't actually think that I'd just be out on my own for that long or just never get caught. But um, you just kind of plan for every, every eventuality. And we do like to ask uh, if you have like a dark horse or dark mare, I guess, for Iron Women pick, um, you know, one that people might not automatically, there's so many names here, but someone who might be unsuspecting that could find themselves on that podium. I think someone that's a little bit, uh, which I saw that she's racing, who can be, and she's a little bit controversial, um, for in a bad way, Lisa Hala. You obviously know about her. Um, yeah, I have no no idea what. I mean, I've been in a race with her before, and she's like apt, absolutely dropped me on the bike. So yeah, I've I've no idea. But I wouldn't want to see her on the podium. I shouldn't I shouldn't say that. But for our yeah. listeners who aren't familiar with Lisa Hudaler, <laughs> she is. Austrian pro who did serve a four-year doping ban. So she did serve her ban. She came back. She is racing again and she will be at 70.3 worlds and in Kona. This race does mark the second year that the 70.3 world championships will feature a two-day format with women racing on Saturday and men racing on Sunday. So Holly, what did you think last year of that format when you're racing in Chattanooga? Did you like it? Um, do you, are you happy to see it continue? Yeah, I am. I am. Cause I, I do think the the men can really affect can affect the race. Um, like there's races that we do, like in the ocean side. Um, there's men that we pass in the swim. Then there's women, which I know <laughs> there's know that there were women that stuck with men the whole bike course, and you, you know that shouldn't be going on. Um, but part of me, I do enjoy passing 
passing men and um, kind of getting that good feeling. But yeah, I do think it's I do think it's necessary for um, for a world championship at least. I definitely loved it. I loved it last year because you have all the cameras all on the women, and it was just I thought it was great. I still <laughs> yeah, always just think about the volunteer story I heard where they said that the women were so much nicer and so much kinder to all the volunteers and they just wanted like days of women racing. They didn't oh. want to have like, they said they were, it was a much nicer day to be yeah. a volunteer for that. So guys, if you are listening, maybe remember to thank the volunteers. When but I do think, so is it the women racing Saturday and the men Sunday? I think so. Or is it the other way around? Because we were Saturday last year. I think it's the same the as last time. year. I think really? it's still Saturday. See, I would time. like to see it change every other year at least. So, because I think, like, obviously the men aren't going to be, or whoever it is, aren't going to be cheering the day before. So I think it may affect spectatorship. Also, do you think yeah. there's any benefit to, like, watching the men's race? If you could sit in your hotel room, watch the men's race, kind of see where people make moves? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> Stay in your hotel room. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, no, oh, if I you're, see. like, yeah, watching yeah. online. If you're watching no. online, you can see, like, oh, man, that was a big hill or something. No. Or he made his move at that point. You no. don't think any benefit to that? No. Mm-mm. No, you just go out. <laughs> okay. Ignore it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll go through the motions too quick, too early. Well, Holly, thanks so much for joining us and for giving us your insight on the race. And where can people be following you now that – you're going to be back running on the road soon. Maybe you're going to be posting about a run group meetup or letting everyone know who your new coach is. Where can we follow you? Yeah, um, on Instagram, uh, my handle's Holly Lawrence Try. Uh, that's pretty much my news outlet, social media updates, whatever. So uh, yeah, follow me there. And best of luck as you come back. We will be cheering for you. Thank you. So Alyssa, we heard Holly's picks. I'm curious, what are your picks for the 70.3 World Championship women's podium and a dark mare? Well, I do have to agree with Holly's pick of Daniela for the win. I'm going, I'm going Daniela for the win. I'm picking Emma Pallant for second and then Lucy Charles for third. And my dark mare, do we, is Paula Finley confirmed to be racing? I think so. She's on the start list. Okay. I, I mean, I, she hasn't told me. Yeah. Specifically. Okay. I didn't know if I she missed Boulder. So. Yeah. So she's my pick for podium dark mare. Cool. Can I give you mine? Oh yeah. <laughs> Haley, what are you <laughs> So yeah, I can't bet against Daniela for the win. I mean, she, her recent racing is just, she's on fire to say the least. I'm going to go with Sarah True for second place. I think she's been doing really well last this year. And last year she wasn't doing so well and still managed fourth. So I want to see what a healthy, you know, Sarah can do. And then third, I'm going to pick Ellie Salthouse. She had a really impressive race in Boulder. And so I'm excited to see what she can do. She's coming in a pretty fresh as well. She hasn't done an Ironman this year. Um, my dark mare is Jeannie Seymour. Hometown, not hometown, home country race for her. And she, we talked to her earlier this year on the podcast and she talked about how important it was for this race. It was for her to race in South Africa. So I think she could pull out something really special. Well, regardless, I think it's going to be super exciting to watch and hopefully the coverage is spot on as we've been seeing it improve over time here, uh, because I would love to follow along with that women's race. I guess it's Saturday there. So that's, is that our Friday afternoon, Haley? How does that yeah, work? Yeah, I think okay. it is. Okay. I know I should, we'll have to look up the actual time difference on that. I think it's like eight hours. So it is going to be like, 
it's like evening. It's like all night here. <laughs> At least it's only the half. So I think, I think it might I'll be 1 a.m. for you. Yeah. <laughs> 11 p.m. for me. <laughs> you oh, could be a that, really, is, that is really A tough. really early morning or something. Or it's eight hours for me. I think it'd be like six hours for you. So if someone's up really early or really late, you have some entertainment. Otherwise, I think, you know, the coverage, they, they store it for a little while. You can watch it a little delayed, like, you know, like cover blinders. So you don't know who won. <laughs> Or would you check? Would you check who won before you and then still watch it? You know, oh, I would totally check. I would totally check. And then I might watch coverage depending on on how it unfolded, I guess. I don't know. It's great. If you're, if you're on the trainer, it's great. It's great entertainment. No, that's <laughs> but, true. Uh, Everyone should have their – and it's two days this year with women's and men's race. So you have your full weekend of training lineup viewing pleasure coming up, people. So get excited. Yes. Good luck to everyone racing and – for a reminder, if anyone has any questions for our mailbag, that email address is ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're everywhere. Haley, so fun to talk to you again this week. I'll talk to you next week. Bye, Alyssa. biking you're really moving your feet and it's fun because you can actually steer where you're going when you want to whereas in swimming and running you might have to plan ahead because in both of those things either in swimming you can run out of breath or in running you could trip and fall the iron women podcast is produced by live feisty media our awesome hosts are Alyssa gadeski and Haley chura our editor is Aaron Hamilton. Our social media queen is Danielle Adino. And our producer is my mom, Sarah Gross. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Leave us a review on iTunes. And have a great week of swimming, biking, and running. Bye for now. Bye.